Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Jacqueline Gannon. On today's episode, I'm talking to Paul Glader, who worked at the Wall Street Journal for 10 years and now wears a couple of different hats, including professor at King's College in New York City and executive director of the Media Project, which teaches journalists how to report on religion. Paul's work has taken him all over from California to Sweden and Germany. He's covered travel, technology, and even metals and mining. Today, we're chatting about his international experiences and about the good old basics of reporting that can take you anywhere. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jacqueline. It's great to be with you. So my first question kind of goes back to the beginning of your career, and it is, did you always know that you wanted to be a journalist? I I guess I didn't always know, but from around the age of 16, really, I had, I stumbled into journalism uh, first at the paper in Rapid City, South Dakota, where I, I had been a paper boy delivering the newspaper door to door as a, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. And then I started writing for the high school page and I started falling in love with journalism then. Um, and long story short, I, I ended up making a connection strangely to a newspaper in Indiana called the Indianapolis News, which was the evening paper owned by the same company that owned the Indianapolis Star. And I started working there at age 16 on the editorial page. And then also on the side, I learned how to do reporting. So I might have been in the 90s, one of the last, you know, cub reporters types who I rode my bike to the office in Indiana. And I had a lot of really fun experiences, including uh, union workers would lay out the paper and they'd make plates from it and put it on the printing press. So I had to interact with that whole world. And that was all before I went to college. And it was amazing experience. I had some amazing mentors for which I'm so grateful. So when I went back to college and went to the University of South Dakota, I had I, I think I had a sense that journalism was an amazing field. I considered law school and you know business like investment banking or things like that. And I, I just kept concluding that journalism was really fun more fun than anything else I could figure out what to do. And I kept finding opportunities. And so I just um, I just felt one has to follow those kind of red lights and green lights, I think, in life, figuring out where are my skill sets and where is my joy and where are the opportunities aligning with those things. That's very cool that you got to decide that at you know, high school age, you got to have that kind of professional already experience um, and kind of see pre-digital journalism. That's something I always wish I could have seen. But since then, you've covered kind of a wide ranging group of beats, including technology, health and science, travel, metals and mining and finance. So how were you able to be so versatile and cover all those like pretty different topics? Yeah, I think what helped me is the basic skills of reporting that every journalism student has to learn. That's kind of step one, just learning how to interview, how to, you know, write with AP style using inverted pyramid for leads and then learning um, techniques for feature writing. And so all those things you learn in journalism school classes, I think, and on the school newspapers really help you in, in the workplace. And so those are the kind of the building blocks. And then I think in I ended up going into business reporting um, out of college. And I was scared to do that because I liked business. I wasn't scared of it as a topic, but I, I went to the Wall Street Journal as an intern 
2001. And I guess I just felt like, wow, I'm from a state school, South Dakota. How do I learn uh, to cover business at a place like like the Journal? And I had before I got there for my internship, I tried to talk to journal reporters. I tried to ask friends who were business majors. I, I did a stock picking game that summer. I tried to do all these things to get myself ready and then just try to soak up like a sponge and 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 learn from any mistakes that I made. I think the certain set of skills you learn, again, are another layer of building blocks on your journalism experience. But once you learn those in business reporting, you can kind of take your toolbox, you know, different tools from it and apply those tools to different beats that you encounter. And so, and, and to me, I think it's actually kind of nice to, you know, for some people, it's nice to stay on a beat for a long time. At the Wall Street Journal during my time there, we would tend to, um, some people would we'd switch every three to five years and try a new beat. And I, I kind of liked that process, learning something new, gaining new sources, new knowledge on different industry. And I think that's what a lot of it in today's world, you know, the economy can change and industries can change. And um, so it's not always just we as a person, our curiosity changing. Sometimes it's <laughs> our company or economy voice change upon us. And so we have to be willing to adapt and maybe learn how to cover other topics. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Those like bedrock transferable skills are the most important, you know, in all those different beats, this might be the answer might be different for different things. But how in general do you find story ideas? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I think the best advice that I got from teachers, and Wall Street Journal colleagues was to get out of the office. We don't find the best stories typically or the stories I think that make us the happiest when we're just sitting in, you know, our dorm rooms or homes or whatever. When I interned at the Wall Street Journal 2001, I'd had several other internships at local news outlets, regional news outlets. And I kind of, you know, I covered cops and crime. So I kind of knew you got to go, you know, you got to go talk to people and also on the school newspaper, the stories I was most happy about were the ones that I got walking around campus, talking to people and discovering something. But I think sometimes we enter that professional internship or job and you're a little scared of like, especially if you're working at a national or international news outlet, how do I, how do I find stories? And so I'll fall 2001. I'm, I'm at the San Francisco Bureau of the Wall Street Journal, uh, starting an internship. And the best advice I got was, um, dude, like you're not going to find a story sitting here in your cubicle. And so you need to get outside and go find a story. That's what they told us. We were in journalism school, you know, so they literally told me that. And I took their advice. So I, I go, I take their advice. I go out to the Embarcadero. I walk along there. And uh, long story short, I was just chatting with people looking for stories, you know, and I, I saw a warehouse open on one of the piers and uh, stretch Humvee limo pulled into this warehouse and I kind of peered inside and I saw there was all these like stretched Volkswagen bugs and other interesting cars. So I walked in there, started chatting with the owners. And the next thing I know, they told me, hey, you know who's doing good business right now are the, the shops in Southern California that are customizing these cars like the kind we buy. After 9-11 happened, a lot of Americans were so scared. They were building safe rooms and they were building like bulletproofed cars SUVs with like Kevlar on them, bomb proofing these cars um, and SUVs, um, putting in James Bond features like smoke screens and tack dropping and oil slicks and all that. 
so I said, this is too good. This is a, this, I think this is a Wall Street Journal story. So I got some names and numbers. The next morning, I made phone calls, told my editors, hey, I think I've got a story. Yes, this is a good story. And that was my first byline of a section front in the Wall Street Journal. I tell my students that I show them the story and, and I to try to explain that point of like, let, get out of the office. And how do we translate that? That was 20 years ago. So today, it's, I think the advice is still true. I think that we can learn a lot and we can find sometimes, you know, trends, sources or stories on things like checking out TikTok or Twitter or Reddit. But I'm, I'm also skeptical of that. The, the stories that we will find most satisfying are the ones that come together when we get out of the office to report. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially because my you know journalism career thus far happened kind of right when COVID hit. So I kind of did experience that, like you couldn't go outside and report. And since being able to do that since, I can really tell the difference. And I, I always love to meet up with people in person, which some people still aren't quite used to yet, but it just makes such a big difference when you're talking to someone like face-to-face. Kind of along those same lines, one piece of yours that I really liked was called A Journey Up the Family Tree, where you went to Sweden, where your great-grandparents were from, and you kind of did a story that was like a personal history and then kind of wrapped in some reporting as well. So what was that experience like traveling and reporting that piece? Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, that piece actually has a fun backstory to it because I was I was covering metals and mining for the Wall Street Journal, actually, Jacqueline, and... I had to go to a conference in Argentina and I saw this woman with short blonde hair, blue eyes, and she looked familiar to me. And and we kind of smiled, said, you know, she was about my dad's age. She and her husband uh, were there. I had this weird sense. I need to talk to them. I don't know why. And so I sat down at their table and we had this wonderful conversation. And I told her, oh, yeah, I have some family there. You know, from my grandparents were from Sweden. And she said, hey, what was the name of your great grandmother? I said, oh, her name was Emmy Eklund. And so this woman almost fell off her chair. I mean, she she's like, oh, my God. She's like, I know who you are. She said, your great grandmother and my grandmother were sisters. And at that moment, I realized why I had a sense of familiarity with her because I had been looking at at her profile while we were chatting, her side profile, realizing that I was looking at my DNA. I was looking at my grandmother, my my aunts, my sisters, The next summer, I made a point that I had to go to Sweden um, to see Elizabeth and to meet other families. So that was where that piece came from. The experience was fantastic. And I made a lot of connections to my generation in my family, to our generation, the similar generations in Sweden. And my journey is still not done there. So I think that story and that piece you mentioned goes back again to that advice that I just gave before about getting out of the office and just talking to people and following, you know, the joy of journalism to me, one of the joys is just being able to follow our curiosity and humanity and to be able to find stories and to connect with people and to show people like, hey, the world is, you know, sometimes bigger than we expect and more complicated and sometimes smaller and less complicated and and, and more heartening than, than, than we expect. Yeah, definitely a story of small world. And had you not gone to that conference, you never would have had that experience, probably. So you've also lived in Germany for a couple of years, elsewhere in Europe. And so why was that time living and working abroad helpful for your career, maybe your personal life? I liked traveling as a student, mostly around the U.S. And then as a Wall Street Journal reporter, I, I enjoyed that I got, you know, sort of I had to travel. 
when you're young and you're able to travel, a lot of, you know, some companies, they love it because some of the, you know, people have kids and mortgages, you know, it's a little harder to move and travel. So I think that's another piece of advice is in your 20s, if you're able and interested to let people know, let your editors and managers know, hey, I'm up to for assignments, you know, to travel. And so uh, regarding Germany, I was at a point in my career that must have been around 20, 2010, 2011, where I had been covering the financial crisis. I'd been at the Wall Street Journal almost 10 years. And um, I wanted to go work abroad. And my language skills were limited because I took Latin in college. I didn't have lots of language skills. So I was being considered at times at the Journal for openings and some other places where you could speak English, like India or London, that kind of thing. But I realized, oh, man, if I could go back and in, in, to, to college, I might pick a different language that I could use in journalism. And so, boom, that's a little tip or that I'd, I'd advise, you know, young people who are um, maybe pick a language that you can uh, speak and use somehow. That might be good. It might connect to your family tr tradition as well. So my other side of my family is, is German. I heard about a fellowship in Germany called the Bosch Fellowship, which unfortunately doesn't exist now, but they usually, they took 20 young Americans each year and they would put you in language school and you could do two stages in Germany and um, they take you on trips and also a friend of my, a colleague and friend at the Wall Street Journal had done that fellowship and told me about it. And at the time you had to be 34 or 35 or under or something. So I was right around there, 33. Um, so I put my application in, received that fellowship and just decided I needed to get a break from the life in New York City and the crunch of just reporting on the economy collapsing and big companies. And, and so that's what I did. I accepted the fellowship. I moved there. So for me, um, it was a time of reinvention. And I think I recognized it wasn't just for me about doing a fellowship. I wanted to, I wanted to learn new things, try new things, um, and, and kind of open some new horizons. And so it's good to be open to that, I think, and recognize it. That whole time pivoted me into academia, actually, when I moved back to the United States then. Um, when we travel or study abroad, um, it's good for us in, Amer in America, where we're part of this big country. Sometimes we can get into a, a bubble of a big country where it's hard for us to even understand or see the world in a different way. And so I think that, that experience of um, uh, traveling, studying abroad really helps us or living abroad, you know, helps us kind of um, interpret the world, understand the world in different ways. Yeah, you definitely have that, like people from different cultures are gonna see things differently. And I know I did a study abroad program. I learned a lot just through those like short months. So I think that's definitely very valuable. So you mentioned that you pivoted to academia kind of when you came back to the States. So can you talk about kind of the work you do in that area and why that's like kind of a valuable pursuit for you? Yeah, um, I joined first uh, as a visiting professor. I joined the King's College in Lower Manhattan, which is a small liberal arts Christian college. And um, I was interested to learn how to teach. They knew they were in a good location in New York City, so they were interested to start more journalism classes and programs. So um, a lot of cool things happened in that visiting year. And I ended up decide, you know, accepting a full-time position there, um, receiving some grants to build out a journalism program. But it's a lot of fun. So I enjoy that. And then I'd say my specialties, a lot of professors maybe have research specialties or teaching specialties. And so 
Uh, mine have, of course, I teach business reporting at my call at the college, and I and I and I run the Dow Jones News Fund business reporting program. So that remains an abiding area of journalism I'm, I'm interested in and, and, and involved with. Uh, and then the other, I, I love teaching narrative nonfiction, some feature writing, and doing more of that, um, some of that work in my my own time. And then um, also, uh, I've been drafted into kind of the it's an international leading an international nonprofit called the Media Project, and that is our niche with the Media Project is to um, help journalists understand religion in society and how do we cover it how do we live and operate in a pluralistic world to understand religion in public life and in people's lives and to treat it with respect and civility and figure out how to write about and cover religion because it is one of the stickier more difficult topics i think in journalism and i think there's some research that has shown and a lot of people will agree including editors of the new york times and buzzfeed and many other places agree that journalists often don't get religion and don't want to get religion. They kind of want to leave it in the private part of life. But, you know, it's religion is deeply meaningful to people all over the planet. The Media Project, we do a training program each year in Prague for young journalists called the European Journalism Institute or EJI. We had about 25 young journalists there last year. Very cool program. We're setting up similar programs. We have one in Chile in Spanish language. And so we we all, the final thing I'll say on the media project work is that um, we launched a an, a nonprofit online magazine called religionunplugged.com. And so that's been growing. It's a place where young writers and seasoned writers can get bylines. We win a lot of awards. We're kind of a player now in the religion reporting space and beat. Um, and we're having a lot of fun with that. So that's, I'd say, business reporting and religion reporting are kind of my two main specialty zones for doing and teaching these days. And they're a lot of fun. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying about how religion is kind of embedded in everything, because one might look at business and religion and think like those are totally divorced. But that's really interesting that you've kind of made those two like areas of expertise. Finally, what advice do you have that you maybe haven't said yet for aspiring journalists? Yeah, I would say that journalists, in addition to um, learning how to all the journalism skills of writing and reporting, essentially, and news judgment, I think the, one, the additional challenge and worthy challenge is to think more about audience and revenue and to learn to listen to your audience. And that relates to some entrepreneurship uh, in the field. And I think journalism students can, can and should learn how to um, understand entrepreneurship and journalism. But I think the heart of that means trying to be a solution-oriented person and one who's open to change. And so if we can understand our audience and the revenue uh, picture, I think that's what helps us kind of find solutions and become valuable in our in our news organizations. Um, it's challenging to do that because we journalists often care more about stories and the that part of the work. But I do think it's worth learning to care. And a lot of, I, I think a lot of good journalism programs are trying to, you know, teach students and young journalists, like how to understand audience and revenue, in addition to all these new skills and new ways, you know, new methods to telling stories. Thank you so much for your time, Paul. I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk today. Thank you, Jacqueline. Great to speak with you and, and good luck to you. Thank you again to Paul for joining me on this episode. And thank you for tuning into The Lead. I'm your host, Jacqueline Gannett. 
Our executive producer is Charlotte Norsworthy, and this show is supported by the Cox Institute. To keep up with the lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at the lead podcast. See you next time.